Okay, so today I've got Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo. Is that, did I say that right, Kimberly? You got it, good job. All right, perfect. And they are both LPC, um, licensed practicing counselors with Aspen House and they are the co-owners of Aspen House. Uh, and I wanted to get them on uh, really to continue the conversations I've been having with different practitioners that complement a lot of what I do as a physical therapist that works primarily with, with people that have persistent and chronic pain and which a big part of that can be emotional. Um, and so thought who better to ask those kinds of questions to than a uh, lady like you. So um, I know Jenna a little bit more on the, the personal level in the past yeah. um, and just getting to meet Kimberly today. So I'm going to let them tell you a little bit more about their training, their background. So Jenna, do you want to go first? Sure. Sure. Um, actually probably what we'll do is volley it back and forth. Um, Kimberly and I have very similar training, which is where sort of our professional relationship developed. Um, but yes, Jason, it's so good to see you. It's been a minute. Um, our, our worlds personally kind of went separate directions. So I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, yes. So we are both licensed professional counselors in the state of Texas. Um, we are both certified sex therapists. And so we actually specialize in sexual dysfunction. Um, we're also both certified sex educators. And so, um, one of the things we get to do when we're not behind closed doors and doing therapy um, for sexual issues is actually to go out and teach the community about healthy sexuality and kind of be on the proactive side uh, of some of those things. Um, we are both trauma therapists, which is a little bit of what you were alluding to earlier, Jason, um, and uh, are trained in a form of therapy called EMDR. Um, so eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, which is, um, again, uh, our preferred uh, method of working with individuals um, who have had um, anything from uh, traumatic experiences to adverse life events. We also get really creative with that as sex therapists um, and how uh, we use EMDR with individuals with sexual dysfunction and kind of um, hurtling some of those, those challenges. Um, Kimberly, um, anything you'd add, and then you want to talk about Aspen House a little bit? Yeah, so within sex therapy and uh, trauma therapy, we specialize in um, several different areas, um, not just specifically, but we do a lot of work with um, couples or individuals where there's been female sexual pain. Um, Jen and I both work a lot with that issue. We also work with a lot of other sexual uh, disorders and dysfunctions that show up um, in the sexual experience for folks. Um, we also specialize in um, working with couples where one or both have been um, survivors of trauma. Um, they've experienced some sort of traumatic event um, which adversely ex you know, impacts their sex life and helping them walk through the healing journey in that complexity of their, the individual parts of that and the couple's parts of that. And so um, if you can't tell, Jen and I really have a passion for really complex, um, difficult human experiences. It's like mm -hmm. very, um, like very close to our heart. And, um, we have a lot of passion for that. Um, so we, um, do those things together. Um, but we do not do them alone. Uh, we co-own a practice, um, in Richardson, Texas, uh, called Aspen House Associates. And, uh, we, have a team of collaborative therapists. We have a unique model where we're not just uh, sharing a space together, but we share a table, we share cases um, together. And so where one clinician may be seeing the individual, 
for trauma therapy, for example, and Jen and I may be seeing the couple to work on their mm-hmm. sex life or a variety of and different ways to um, parcel out that complex human experience um, that, that is sometimes a puzzle. We have a um, play therapist, for example, um, we have a family therapist, we have grief specialists. Um, and so we all collaborate together to help um, to help families um, deal with the complexities um, of the human experience where it gets mm-hmm. wounded and difficult and um, love and enjoy and thrive stepping into that space um, with them and doing that collaborative work as a team. Very good. So one thing I wanted to ask each of you is how did you get to doing what you're doing? What, what led you to get into counseling and specifically the areas that you are focusing on at this point? Yeah. Um, so the nutshell version, um, I actually started out studying engineering and architecture in undergrad and much to my parents' disappointment at the time. Um, I, and I loved that stuff. I loved the math. I loved the, um, the science behind that. I loved the design aspect. And I just realized that I loved people more. Um, through a variety of experiences, some of those in the church, some of those outside of the church. And so um, I switched to psychology (laughs) after two years of dual, dual degree work in the other. And um, so I have a 60 hour minor in architecture. So that's, that's the fun part Um, because nothing transferred. I mean, just nothing transferred um, to that degree. And so, um, yeah, so that was the point when I realized I really want to work with people Um, and then got into my counseling degree. Um, and it was in my counseling degree. Actually, I would say some of my interest in maybe sex education started when I was an undergrad, just realizing um, specifically um, in faith-based communities, I just was so, I, something I could not have articulated at the time, but I just knew something was missing. And so I think some of the interest started there um, and how we were teaching um, our people about sexuality And then when I got into my counseling degree, I found out there was this thing called a sex therapist. I really didn't know that before. Um, And then it it was like a dog with a bone. I just, that is what I was going to do. And even had some, I think, mentors that were not as comfortable with sexuality. Like, are you sure? And I was like, oh yes, like this is happening. (laughs) And, and went into that. And then um, I always say that as far as trauma is concerned, trauma found me. Um, as it does with many, many clinicians. Um, and so I remember Kimberly sitting in class going, yeah, I want to work with trauma. And I remember going, I don't think that's what I want to do. Like, I don't know, that's not it. And then I got into my practicum work in grad school and it was just trauma case after trauma case after trauma case. And I just fell in love with the people that I was working with. And so began also specializing in being able to serve them well. So that's, that's sort of my, my, and then pursued all of the papers that have given mm-hmm. me the ability to do that well. So that, that's my journey. Yeah. And I think if I remember correctly, Jenna, when, when our worlds uh-huh. were together, I think you were still in the architecture. So you doing counseling was a news to me, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. When, it's when been you a showed fun up. jump. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a fun jump. That's interesting. What about you, Kimberly? What led you to get to where you are? Yeah. So, um, just a love of humanity and wanting to understand the complexity of the human experience. So I originally started off as a music major for about a semester, realized I didn't like that because it was a life of solitude in a way that I didn't care for. 
and um, switched over to psychology, um, fell in love with it, and um, through undergrad and then post-undergrad experiences, began working in um, uh, crisis centers, um, volunteering, um, even um, through employment and that kind of thing, um, doing uh, interpersonal violence, domestic violence, sexual assault, sexual abuse work, and so really had had a love for um, serving traumatic populations um, for a long time. Um, and so my, my journey is a little bit reversed from Jenna's. I entered through the trauma door and mm. had been working with um, and in trauma spaces for a long period of time. And as I sat in front of clients, I heard more and more um, that um, trauma has an impact on their body and their sexuality and their relationships and their intimacy. And I'm thinking, okay, so I have this missing piece and discovered sex therapy and thought, oh gosh, these two things need to go together um, somehow. And so in grad school began to um, pursue classes and education in um, sex therapy. And then uh, from there went on to get my certification in sex therapy um, and have just enjoyed that journey um, of really complex conversations talking about trauma and sex therapy we always kind of joke that we're fun at dinner parties when they're like oh you're a counselor what do you specialize in trauma and sex therapy and then there's typically a various responses to to those specialties but um just a, a drive and a desire to step into complex spaces and not that we can solve them or completely make sense of them but just to sit well with them um it really is something that i care a lot about that or when you sit down next to somebody on a plane that, or, oh, that yeah. either dinner parties or that, what do you yeah. do? Do you really want me to answer that question? <laughs> hey, I think the plane might be worse, right? Cause then you're, you're, you're buckled stuck. in. Where can you go? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So it's either going to be a good plane ride or it's going to be really awkward. Very, <laughs> very quiet maybe. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, so this, this whole topic, um, of just the emotional side of trauma, um, mm -hmm. you know, sexual trauma and non-sexual trauma is, mm -hmm. is outside of my wheelhouse in a lot of ways. So I'm excited to be able to ask you guys some questions about this. Cause you know, I, uh, Kimberly, you mentioned, um, you know, part of this being the missing piece, uh, the, the sex therapy was the missing piece, I think is how you said it to, um, to some of the counseling that you do. And it reminded me of, you know, oftentimes when I'm working with, um, patients with chronic pain, persistent pain, complex situations, you know, one of the phrases that I find myself using a lot is, is, oh, that's just, that's a piece of the puzzle. That's a piece of the puzzle. And so there's all these pieces of the puzzle. And as a physical therapist, I, I can address certain pieces, uh, mm -hmm. you know, physicians and, and a chiropractor, acupuncture, you know, they all have their pieces. And so the emotional side, I think in a lot of ways often gets dropped for, chronic patients and persistent patients. Although in the last, I'd say probably, at least from what I've seen, probably in the last five to 10 years, research is really starting to, I think, catch up as far as showing how emotional trauma can lead to chronic conditions. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe in some of those chronic conditions being autoimmune related, and, mm -hmm. uh, especially childhood traumas. And I imagine the same as sexual trauma. So, so my first question to you ladies is, um, in the in the clients that you see that come in that have chronic conditions um, and and persistent conditions, whether that's whether that's pain or whether that's 
not pain, what kinds of things or what factors are you seeing that seem to keep those cycles going? Um, it's uh, in, in our offices, um, or at least I'll say in my office, it's a really um, complex, which when it feels negative, it's complicated, right? Um, conversation because um, ethically, we kind of have to stay in our wheelhouse and we're not medical mm -hmm. doctors and we're not medical providers. Um, we are watching something play out before our eyes that we're going, gosh, I'm so curious about that. So, um, you know, we have to be careful about what we say, what we, what we know causes it. But what we can say is we see really strong relationships with how people with a history of trauma, how it has wreaked havoc in a variety. I don't, I don't know if there's a pattern in my office or in what I see anecdotally as far as exactly what it causes. Um, and that is just because I think, you know, just this idea of epigenetics, like it's the play of both nature and nurture. We're all, we're, you know, walking into our life's experience with different genes that are just waiting to get woken up and fired off um, in a lot of ways. And so, um, but I do, I do get really curious about some of those chronic con conditions, I'll say, and how much trauma is at play. I think, I think one of the, I get real confident that there was a big emotional component when I'm working with someone who has one of these challenges, whatever it is, and I'm doing specifically EMDR with it. And I'm biased. I love EMDR. I think it is mm -hmm. just a brilliant approach um, to working with a variety of issues. And we are focused on a history of trauma. And as we are, um, the language in EMDR is reprocessing targets and targets are basically the, like memories, emotional experiences. It can be a single one, or it can be kind of a bucket of ones that are all related that we call a cluster. Um, and, and I, as they are reprocessing and going through the emotional healing um, work when they're getting either to the end or even a little bit before. And all of a sudden they start reporting that those physical symptoms, or I am able to manage this autoimmune, you know, disorder better. Um, you know, I would never say we, I, I wouldn't make the claim that we cured this, but I, I, st I really do. I get very, very curious about how much was that emotional experience being maintained in your nervous system, at least contributing or maintaining, um, this physical issue that you're battling. And so I don't know if we'll ever have the luxury luxury of being able to thin slice it enough to say, we know that this caused it. Um, but we definitely see the anecdotal evidence that it is maintaining, contributing a significant amount inside, you know, my counseling room. So. Absolutely. And I think it's, um, you can see it in the, in the literature, especially in our field, um, where we've, unfortunately just started going, Hmm, what's going on in the body when there's been trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I know anecdotally and our research is starting to describe this where there's traumatic uh, events that happen and chronic conditions are showing up and it, it's been such a mystery. And so again, to Jenna's point, I don't know if we'll ever have a formula, you know, um, but I think there is definitely a relationship, um, which I think points to the complexity of the human experience and how trauma is stored. Um, and I think mm -hmm. a lot of times the, the strategies and techniques in counseling and in psychology have been um, 
the, the mind, the emotions, and then we've kind of stopped there. Um, and one of the reasons why I love EMDR, um, it, part of the, the protocol is, and where do you feel that in your body? Mm-hmm. And where's that showing up in your body? And tell me what your body's saying. Um, and so I, I love that we're going to integrate, um, you know, what, what Jenna and I would call a biopsychosocial approach, mm-hmm. where it's, it's this complex view of the human experience, which includes, hey, I wonder if your fibromyalgia or your vaginismus is connected to your trauma. And though I'm not here to create a formula, I'm not here to be your PT or your MD, um, but I do hold that in the space as I'm working with clients because the body, you know, to, to Bessel van der Kolk's <laughs> title of his book, the body mm-hmm. keeps the score. It's the scoreboard for what's happened. And, um, and so, yes, we see that um, on and on from, from, Hey, I, I have just a headache when I think about mm-hmm. this situation to I've just chronically struggled with this mm-hmm. physical condition my whole life. So um, I don't think it takes me combing through hundreds of medical journals to, to see, I, I think these things are related and in relationship together. Yes. Yeah, and, and listening to both of y'all answer that question, um, I think really confirmed in me why I wanted to specifically talk to, to you guys based off of what I was able to read from your website and what you specialize in, because um, one of the things you said, Kimberly, about um, EMDR, and I want to go back and, and let you guys define EMDR a little bit so, so people know, but one of the things you said was a part of EMDR is you have people close their eyes and, and go through that process and where do they feel it in their body. And just to give you guys an idea of, of where my world collides with that, um, and, and I know we'll, we'll maybe get into this in a little bit, but um, I do a lot of uh, body work and especially uh, visceral work. Um, and with the visceral work, we talk about how our emotions, um, especially when they're overwhelming or if the uh, center of the brain that typically would deal with emotions is not functioning well, your, your emotions can be stored in specific organs. And mm-hmm. in Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine, there's they designate certain organs with certain emotions. And um, so if, the other day, for example, I was treating a patient and one of the things we were getting into was some things that seemed emotional. So we went through, okay, close your eyes, imagine something that makes you feel that, that anxiety, that emotion. And then where do you feel in that body? And then that can guide me to, okay, well, that, that may be dealing more with the vagus nerve, or that may be dealing more with the liver or, you know, and so it's really interesting to hear that. So I want to know more about EMDR. So would you guys tell me more about what EMDR is? What does it stand for? And then how is it used and what, what's that process look like? Kimberly, I'll let you give them the technical answer and then I'll give them my, my fun word yeah. picture answer. So EMDR stands for eye movement, reprocessing and desensitization. Um, it was developed um, by a brilliant woman named Francis, uh, Francine, excuse me, uh, Shapiro in the eighties, I think. Um, and she had made the discovery um, connecting specifically eye movements to processing difficult content. Um, and it, we don't, we, it's one of the most well-researched trauma therapy modalities. Um, and we're still trying to understand the mechanisms of the, the eye movements or the bilateral movements as we would now call them. Um, But where we have kind of landed is a little bit like REM sleep. So when we're sleeping and we're in REM and our eyes are moving, we're digesting the day, we're reprocessing. 
um, and it's consolidating. And usually, you know, that kind of goes well, but what trauma does um, is it disrupts that process. Um, and so we have left and right hemispheres of the brain um, that do not communicate in the same way um, as they do when we're not in a crisis or trauma state. And so what happens is um, we are more in our limbic system and we're reacting in that space um, because it has stopped communicating with the part of our brain that says, hey, that incident that happened to you at 17 is over. And so mm -hmm. it's unresolved. And so what EMDR does is we pull up that, that memory at 17, um, we do some form of bilateral um, stimulation. Um, some of us do eye movements. Um, we have since discovered that it doesn't have to be eye movements. And so some of us use, um, we have um, tools and resources like um, tappers that would um, buzz back and forth, stimulating both um, sides of, of the brain um, or tones um, that tick back and forth. So we pull up that content and we reprocess through it, allowing those hemispheres to talk and get to a place where connection is made and the brain goes, oh, I can turn off the fire alarms. The emergency's over. It's back then, I'm here now. And not only that, but I, the meaning that I have made for the last 10, 20, 50 years um, is not accurate. I'm not a failure, you know, because a lot of times what happens with trauma is the meaning making. And so mm -hmm. what I, I alluded to before is EMDR is, is complex. It's not just your thoughts. Mm -hmm. It's not just your emotions. It's your body. And so even when we're focusing on that target, we're asking all those questions. And so someone, when they resolve the memory, leave going, oh, I don't feel that in my body as dysregulated as I did before my emotions have reduced from a scale of 10 to zero. Hmm. And that meaning that I have no control in the world and I don't have a voice and I don't matter, that's just not true. Mm -hmm. And so those brains have found truth, those sides of the brain have found truth um, and have regulated and healed um, in, in this really incredible way, which is what we were, I personally believe, created to, to experience, trauma disrupts that and it gets it back into order and into congruence. And so um, it's really, really powerful um, and, and, and used for a, a, lot of, a lot of issues, but specifically for, for trauma and what happens inside of the brain. Yeah. I, when I'm trying to help, cause it, at, at, well, just at first glance, and especially if you don't have any kind of brain or psychology background, it just kind of sounds like brain voodoo. And mm -hmm. so, um, when I'm describing it for my clients, I'll, I'll ask them if they've ever watched the movie inside out, which, um, you know, surprisingly, a lot of the counselors and therapists of the world, like cheered that on. I think all of us were bracing or like, Oh, are you going to do this? Well, Disney. And then we were like, Oh, you did this so well. Like, this is so great. Yeah. Um, but I, I asked them to think about, it's an early scene in the movie where Riley, the little girl is, is going to bed for the first time. And throughout her daily experience, all those little globes are like building up on the wall, right? And their color, depending on what the emotional experience was. And as she's closing her eyes, you, you're, you're inside the control center, hearing all the emotions talk to each other. And Joy goes, don't worry, I'll, I'll send them off to long-term memory. Like I'll, I'll do the thing. And she like hits some button and they start whirl, whirling on the wall and ding, 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 and shooting out the back of the control center to the back of the brain to long-term memory. And what I tell my clients is when you go to bed at night, 
Um, again, we don't, we're not like super certain on like what's causing what, but like your brain was designed to have a bilateral, um, process that helps you think about everything that happened that day, clean it out, decide what you need to keep for learning and, and, and like future experiences and file it away in a way that's helpful and you can access it again. And then you wake up in the morning and it's kind of like a, a computer that's been rebooted in a really helpful way. And, um, and I say, that's how it's supposed to work. That's how it was always supposed to work. That's how your brain was designed to work. And what happens is when we have a traumatic experience or, or, uh, prolonged extreme stress for too long, right. Which can have some of the same impact. Um, your nervous system throws off the brain's ability to do that. And so it's almost like if you can imagine a train, like a toy train on a set of tracks, you just got knocked off. You're not rolling anymore. So you're stuck in that spot. And so what EMDR does, understanding the mechanisms of what's happening is takes that little toy train, puts it back on the track. So we do all this process to set it up well. And then we start pushing it through with bilateral stimulation because we know that that's how the brain reprocesses what it needs to do to heal. So we actually... You know, the other beautiful part about EMDR is that we don't tell the clients what to do. We, we, we hold the structure, we set it up well clinically, but as far as like the meaning making and the emotional experiences and the processes, they are really in total control of what, where it goes. We know the brain will go where it needs to go in order to get to the other side of this experience. And so there's a, there's a real neat sense of ownership for clients um, in EMDR because they know that that was their healing storyline. And we are really, um, I cannot echo the words anymore. It's just what Kimberly said, we, we believe the brain was designed beautifully and able to do this. And so when we set up the mechanisms correctly, it can go there. It can find healing um, for, for these things. Um, and just one more thing, just to add complete clarity to the, the cool thing about EMDR that I believe is really different than a lot of the other forms of therapy out there. Psychotherapy is we are looking at, um, we ask about images. So the visuals that go with the target, the emotional, like what, what feeling words to label the emotional experience. We ask about the, the, um, cognitions or beliefs. Um, and we ask where they feel it in the body. Um, along with like giving it an intensity level. And so what we do when we're working through the script to assess all of those each time and kind of set it up, we're lighting up the different parts of the brain so that the brain's going to access all of that. So we're not just healing the cognitions. We're not just healing the feelings. We're looking at everything as a human being and going, let's move it through. And so I personally see more healing done with the clients I've done EMDR with than the ones that I've done talk therapy with. Um, it just can reach the far, you know, corners of the brain and the body in a way that I just don't see the other forms of therapy doing as much. That, that's really, really interesting. And I, I've got some follow-up questions for you. Um, but when you mentioned talk therapy, is that what we would traditionally think of as therapy? You go into a therapist's office and you sit on the couch and you, and you just kind of talk through things that's talk therapy. Yeah. I would say for me, when I use the word talk therapy, um, yes. And there is a variety of theoretical approaches that inform how therapists do that. And I'm a big fan of a lot of them. Um, I've just found EMDR has a, um, a bigger long-term impact that's better for the client. So yeah, it, EMDR is a theory and modality. Um, 
how common is EMDR as far as being practiced in the counseling world? Is it, I know you mentioned it's, it's the most well-researched or it's very well-researched, but is it, is it practiced often or is it rare to find? Rare would probably be too strong of a word. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know what the percentages are. It's very, it's growing in popularity. Part of why it is so well-researched is because of the way it's structured. It used to be for years that CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, kind of ruled the roost in evidence-based therapy because the way that it is constructed can be measured. Whereas a lot of other forms of talk therapy had a really, you had a really hard time measuring them. So it was hard to say that they were evidence-based, not impossible, but it was just harder. Um, EMDR is so easily measured because we are scaling the beliefs and the level of disturbance and every single time we do a session. And so it's, it's actually so easy to research. It's easy to say, show its effectiveness and, and do that. So I think that's a piece of why it's, um, one of the, one of the best researched, um, approaches. I don't know what you would add to that, Kimberly. Yeah. I'm not sure on numbers as far as percentage of trauma therapists or therapists in general who would use EMDR. Um, I know in the DFW area, we have a significant EMDR, um, clinical community, um, that, that use it for a variety of issues. And so, um, I probably have a biased perspective cause I, you know, know a lot of therapists that mm. use it and we use it a lot in our office, but, um, as far as, um, usage and, um, that kind of thing, I don't know if I've seen numbers on that. Mm -mm. So, yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Um, Jenna, when you were talking about EMDR, one of the things, um, it made me question. Um, and I want to get your, both of you, if y'all have thoughts on how sleep plays into this, because I know sleep and especially getting into room sleep is a big part of where our brain heals. Um, I imagine you guys are familiar with the lymphatic system and how the, the brain drains or gets rid mm -hmm. of its waste. And we have to get into those deep cycles of sleep. So with emotional traumas, that's often interrupted. Um, I'm assuming, is that correct? So, yeah, it's one of the most common symptoms that shows up. I mean, I've, I don't think, and you know, no one hold me to this, but um, I've had a client yet that's come in with a trauma experience and said, I just sleep great. I sleep so great. Right. Sleep is so often disturbed um, in, in trauma and crisis. And, and I think we can probably all relate to that. You know, you have something anxious happening the next day, you're in a crisis, mm -hmm. um, I think about, you know, just the, the climate and, and the experiences that we're in currently now with um, prolonged stress in um, mm -hmm. with, you know, a, a worldwide pandemic and, and all that that has brought for us. Um, and so sleep, yeah, it's huge. And I think um, it's, it's not something that I think I've quite figured out how to conquer with clients, but I do everything I can to do some sort of sleep hygiene work with clients. Mm -hmm. like, value it immensely um it, because i know what it does to the body mm -hmm. um, and so even if we can increase it by an hour or just try to get quiet yeah. space or rest um in some way even if rim is not happening as often as we'd like we're i'm just gonna fight with them for it even if we don't quite achieve it because i just it, it's so important i'll add that i think that um I, I add for many of my clients, 
as we progress through their EMDR treatment plan, and we are in fact reprocessing, which is kind of one of the, some of the middle phase, um, their, their sleep experience does shift a lot. Um, sometimes it gets worse when we're in the middle of it, because we are actually, actually asking the brain to access the disturbance more often when we're reprocessing. And although, you know, we try to contain and zip it up and do all of these wonderful things to make it bearable as they're in this season of healing, as I like to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, the reality is, is, um, I have had people who have pretty okay, decent sleep and it gets worse when they're in the middle of their trauma work. Um, to some people sleep like a baby after an EMDR session, they're like, and there's just something about the day, you know, the day of the night of an EMDR session, I sleep so great. I have some people who say the opposite. Um, and then I know as people sleep for many of my clients, um, as that starts to get better, I'm not say perfect and, you know, resolved, but as it gets better with healing, cause I do see generally that trend. Um, I do think everything else a little bit of a domino effect in a positive way, everything else can start to fall into place. I mean, their self-care improves their ability to just do the healing work, um, to make choices, um, from a place of rest versus exhaustion. Um, so I do think it gets better with healing work. Um, but yeah, no, it's wildly important. I mean, we're essentially saying we're, we're mimicking what happens while you're asleep, like the really good parts of it to help you heal. So if we're not getting sleep, like we're, we're impeding what I would at least say is growth. That's supposed to be happening on a daily basis. As far as neural networks, you know, connecting and solidifying and metabolizing and all that kind of stuff like that. If you don't sleep, that starts to fall off. Yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Uh, so, so somebody that has an, a history of emotional trauma that, um, that they're aware of, right. Cause I imagine a lot of people aren't even aware of how it's affecting them, but for somebody that has become aware of it, what, and, and, and not just emotional y'all are both experts in sexual trauma as well. So, so somebody that's aware of that in their history, what suggestions do you have, um, for them? Is there, is there anything that they should be doing to help themselves? Should they seek out somebody like yourselves right away? What, what suggestions do you have somebody that might be watching this thinking that that sounds like me? I'm going to add something before sure. we'll say Kimberly brilliantly answers your question. Um, okay. <laughs> um, what, what I often find is that um, trauma sneaks up and bites most people. Um, some people go, I have a trauma history. I can clearly name that and whatnot, but what, what I guess we don't talk about enough is that um, many people who have had emotional trauma are unaware that they have had it mm -hmm. and that they've had an experience that would qualify as a trauma. Um, maybe not according to the diagnostic manual, but at least according to their nervous system. I mean, I always say that like, well, maybe it doesn't hit the diagnostic criteria, but your nervous system acts like you've had a trauma, you know, yeah. and, and, and that's what we care about is how you're experiencing life and quality or lack thereof. And so, um, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, we either don't pay attention to our body or, um, what we can take a step back clinically or professionally, um, or someone with a different experience can look at and go, gosh, that's traumatic. That was their normal sometimes. And so they're mm -hmm. going, what do you mean traumatic? Like this is, this is how life is for everybody. Right. 
And so there is a great number of people who, who would qualify, at least from a nervous system perspective as having a history of trauma, um, chronic complex, single incident, whatever it is, and don't know, like, don't even know. It's not that they're not choosing. They just don't even know, um, that that is a reality in their bodies and their stories. Um, and so by the time most people find us, I would say they are in the throes of trauma reactions and symptoms because whatever creative, and I'm going to say wonderful survival and coping mechanisms, they, they didn't even know they were coming up with at the time to survive the experience. It has run out of gas. I, I tell all my clients coping and survival techniques all have an expiration date. They are not meant to last your whole life. And so typically by the time people find us, they're like, I, I can't, they really, they feel like they're not surviving well because they're not anymore, but they've been in survival mode for too long. Um, so I just think it's important to note that, um, Mm -hmm. as we talk about people coming, you know, people who are aware of having trauma, I I think the part of our, our challenge is most people are not aware, um, that there is something worthy of working on and that this is not normal. And then I think uh, to your question, I think when they become aware, I think some of the, the first steps are, yes, I mean, I would highly encourage um, counseling. I, you know, obviously I have a bit and a bias for bias, right, right. Kind of foolish for me not to recommend that, but I I would say um, a trauma-informed therapist, um, because not all therapists are informed in trauma in the way that they um, really need to be. Um, I personally think every therapist should have a, a little bit of a lens enough to know when to refer at least. Um, just because I have seen the havoc that it wreaks on clients when, when mm-hmm. folks don't know what they're doing. Um, yeah. And I but think the reality that, is, is that's not true. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I think h- how you know um, is um, you need to hear the truth. Um, and that's trauma therapy takes a long time to heal. It's a long process. Trauma is such a long um, experience so stored in the the body that pulling back all those layers takes time. And so if you hear a quick fix, I would walk away um, pretty quickly. Um, I would want to hear a therapist articulate, um, you know, mind, body, um, emotion, relational types of healing. Um, I would want to hear a therapist talk about, um, you know, things that don't force trust between the client and the therapist of client and therapist, because um, trauma shatters trust um, relationally for a lot of clients. And so I don't expect a client to walk in and just hand me everything vulnerably with all trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's no expectation of that. There's um, no even need for that. And so I think when it's um, sometimes I've, you know, I've heard clinicians, you know, talk about clients being resistant and those sorts of things. And it's like, no, it just, again, what's happened to them is shattered trust. And it is a coping and self-care and safety mechanism mm-hmm. that kept them alive and well. And it takes time to learn how to heal and trust again. And so finding a trauma-informed therapist, um, I think a lot is coming out, um, in, in the literature and research over the last decade or more um, about 
uh, doing things in your body and you know this well um jason um just uh, like yoga uh, finding mm. a a kind of thoughtful slower yoga practice mm-hmm. that is doesn't even have to be because there are practices that are trauma-informed yoga and mm-hmm. um, those are harder to find but just something where we're not doing power yoga <laughs> we're not right. there to just right. stand on our head and um for for a long time but just an intentional practice it gets us into our body and it's very regulating i think mm-hmm. there's a lot of um you know doing mindfulness and um or, or hypnosis or sort sort of those sorts of things that really get into learning to regulate what has been so dysregulated. Um, sometimes it's helpful to have a therapist that walks you through, here's some thoughts and tools and resources. Um, but I think I have found that clients who have a regular kind of body practice, whether that's yoga or just mindfully walking every day or some sort of way of kind of closing out their stress cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really, really helpful. Um, but yeah, I think I, I would say start with start with therapy and start with trauma informed therapy because our brains are going to all of that spaces. Where's their body? Where's their relationship? Where's the mm-hmm. trauma history? You know, and, and thinking through that complexly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I love what you said that you know being be, being truthful about trauma that it takes a long time to heal. Um, and I I can relate to that in my world than that a lot of the patients that I see, I end up seeing them a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of that's probably because of what they've been through over time. Um, and I think, I, th- I think as, at least as a, a Western culture, we have lost the ability to suffer, right. And, and to, to know what that means. And we want that quick fix because there are so many, what seems like quick fixes out there. Um, and so I appreciate you, saying that. And I think a lot of people are going to appreciate hearing that as well. Um, cause it's, yeah. it, it, it is good to know going in, like, this is a journey. This is not a, you're going to be healed in two or three visits or, you know, next week you're going to be feeling much, much better. Yeah. So I appreciate it, it's that. nice for me to hear that there's a, a physical therapist in the world. That's making that same statement, because I'll be really honest as trauma therapists, we get compared to the Western medicine model a lot. And we give clients are very, very frustrated with the fact that, what do you mean years, you know? And like, they've never had any other professional tell them that. And I'm like, well, that, you know, and and again, that's being ethical and that's being honest and that's holding space for that. But um, we, I, I do sometimes feel like the Lone Ranger in that because so many other practices will be like, yeah, yeah, you know, like 10 to 12 visits or mm-hmm. um, this is exactly the protocol for this. And there's just nothing about trauma that right. fits the short term or overly protocoled model. It's just not. We just have to have confidence in the healing process, but hold it very open handedly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and in, and in my world, a lot of the times, these are patients that have been told by multiple types of practitioners, either, you know, you've met your goals or I've done everything I can for you, or this does this x-ray or this MRI or this test doesn't show what you're telling me. So I can't help you. Uh, and it's, yeah. it, it's frustrating. I imagine y'all get the same thing when you, mm-hmm. when you have patients or clients that are coming in like that. Um, so yes, likewise, it's good to hear. Cause I know that in the counseling world, there's probably varying different styles and, and focuses. And so it's good to know that. And I think, I think clients need to know that because 
just as in the PT world, it makes a difference which PT you end up with and what their focus is and how are they going to be able to help you. I imagine it's the same in the counseling world of, you know, you can't just go to, Kimberly, like you said, like, you know, a non-trauma informed therapist and expect, you know, trauma treatment or trauma, you know, trauma to be addressed as, as well. So I appreciate hearing that as well. Absolutely. There are appropriate times for brief therapy. Trauma is not one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so as we start to wrap this up, I wanted to give you uh, ladies a chance to, to tell us more about Aspen House and some of the other services that you offer, some of the other programs that you might have, and then just any, anything else, any other topics that uh, you would like to talk about or, or you would like people to know about you. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think there's a lot of really wonderful therapists in the world. Um, we're very biased to our team. We tell people we would not have hired them if we wouldn't trust our, our them with our families. So, um, we have a very, very talented team of clinicians. Um, and part of what we do, like Kimberly said earlier, is specializing in the collaborative model mm -hmm. where there are multiple therapists with their hands in the bucket um, of a case and, um, and really working together as a team um, in order to, to really address um, what is being, what, what the challenge is for what, whatever it is, individual, the couple, the family. And so, um, you know, everyone at Aspen House is trauma-informed. Um, everyone at Aspen House is trained in EMDR. Um, and then from there, we all niche out. And so, um, you know, we've got a gal who just wrapped up um, two years of work specializing in grief and death studies. And oh. so she is a grief specialist. So if you've talked about something really complicated in life, the embracing of suffering on this side of eternity, she is a masterful clinician when it comes to grief. Um, we've got a gal who specializes with the babies, you know, um, she works with the kiddos and she is EMDR trained too. And so she does EMDR with the kids. She knows how to do that. She knows how to weave between play therapy, which is the appropriate language for kids and EMDR. And she knows how to kind of ebb and flow between those to uh, attend to what's coming up for these kids. Um, very developmentally informed in her work across a lifespan because she also works with adult and adolescents. Um, have some very highly trained attachment oriented therapists. We've got the family therapists who are like, get everybody in the room. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and we love them for that. Everybody plays their role. And then there's, you know, um, Kimberly and I are the only certified sex therapists at the moment, but we've got a handful almost, um, that are in the process because we know sexuality is showing up in every single complaint. And so, you know, we, we are, um, it, it moves all the time, but we are essentially full. And so we have wait lists. Um, and, you know, and so we looked at our team and we said, Hey, anybody else want to do some sex therapy? And so they're all in training, um, yeah. because we get a lot of calls for that. Um, Outside of that, we have some exciting things um, that are coming in the future. Um, we are definitely, um, we are getting ready to launch a podcast. Um, Kimberly and I are um, kind of moving into some adjacent um, areas, uh, professional projects. One of them is a podcast. And so um, we're excited about that. Um, that'll launch early next year. Um, we're also getting ready to move into the um 
community oriented online education world. Uh, we have done a soft launch this year. Our play therapist put out an incredible like a little mini course for parents on how to work with their kids' emotions. Mm. Um, and Kimberly and I are, are in the middle of designing courses um, in our area of expertise, which is trauma and sexual dysfunction, um, to help equip more people to make that information. There's a large part of being a sex therapist that is psychoed. And so mm. um, we are creating courses for that. Um, and then, uh, we'll be moving, um, here in the next year or so into doing some leadership coaching, which we're really excited about. So yeah, we're, we're kind of moving into some new spaces, um, as Aspen house and, and beyond, um, what would you add Kimberly? <laughs> I know I sound like Buzz Lightyear when I said that and beyond. <laughs> I have a son. So what do I, what, what, what can I say? Yeah. Oh, I think that captures, that captures it. We, we also do some groups, um, depending on, um, Kind of the need of the community at the time we have a trauma group going right now um at the beginning of um the year we had a lot of um, groups in response to covid um mm. first responders um and so we're really always trying to listen to kind of what's happening in the community and what the needs are to respond to that um, and offer services mm -hmm. to them and so we we also do some group work which we love a lot and um giving back in that way as well but yeah no lots of exciting things going on yeah. now and in the future and we are we are both um in the office um and you know one of the things that the pandemic has sort of pushed us into and we have fully embraced and i think really owned and mastered is is we we do everything but play therapy online okay. so we can offer you vr um, uh, sex therapy, all the things, um, if it's appropriate for the client, we can offer it online. So our jurisdiction is really the whole state of Texas. So awesome. we've embraced that and we are serving people all over the place. Yeah. And that's good to know because you guys are in Richardson and I'm in Fort Worth, mm -hmm. which that alone would be a big drive. So, yeah. you know, if somebody in Houston happens to watch this and says, I really want somebody like that, then that's good to know they have that option. Absolutely. Um, so where can people learn more about Aspen House? Yeah, so um, we will send you um, our website if you want to post that anywhere, but it is just aspenhouseassociates.com. So that's A-S-P-E-N. And it is, we like to be a little bit, a little bit edgy. So house <laughs> is spelled like the nice little German way, H-A-U-S, um, associates.com. And you can um, find everything from there. Um, and then Kimberly and I are getting ready to launch the other things, but you'll be able to link to them from that, that website. Perfect. And I'll definitely be putting um, that contact information on the R3 Physio um, website. So that way people can get access to that that way. Um, and then are you guys on social media? We are um, Aspen House Associates on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, again, I can send you those links. So it's easy for people to find. Um, yeah, all the places. Okay, very good. Well, I appreciate this. Um, like I said, this was, especially this interview was outside of my wheelhouse in a lot of ways. And so I've actually learned quite a bit and um, I think I want to know more about EMDR. So I may be asking some more questions of you guys at some point, but yeah, um, I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. You bet.